Chapter number eleven of For Every Music Lover. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charlotte Duckett. For Every Music Lover, a series of practical essays on music by Obertine Woodward Moore. Chapter eleven Certain Famous Oratorios. About the middle of the 16th century, San Filippo Neri, a zealous Florentine priest, opened the chapel, or oratory, of his church in Rome, for popular hours with his congregation. His main object being to allure young people of pious offences and detain them from worldly pleasures, he endeavoured to make the occasions attractive as well as edifying, and supplemented religious discourse and spiritual songs with dramatized versions of biblical stories provided with suitable music. Associated with him in his labors for a good course was no other than that great reformer of the Catholic Church music, Giovanni Pierluigi Santa del Palestrina, whose harmonies were declared by the music-loving Pope to be those of the celestial Jerusalem. The laudable enterprise proved successful. People flocked from all quarters to enjoy the gratuitous entertainment and a form of sacred musical art resulted that derived from them its name. Roswitha, a nun from the Glandersheim cloister in the 10th century, made the earliest attempt recorded to invest church plays with artistic work. Her six religious dramas, written in Latin for the use and edification of her sister nuns, were published in a French setting in 1845. It was a woman too, Laura Giorni, a brilliant member of a Florence group of aristocratic truth-seekers in art, who wrote the text of the first religious musical-dramatic composition to which the name Oratorio became attached. It was set to the music of a declamatory style by Emilio del Cavallari the author's collaborator in the pastoral plays that were really embryo operas. The title of the piece, The Representation of the Body and the Soul, indicates the allegorical nature of the subject. Its initial performance occurred at Rome, February 1600, in the oratory of San Filippo's Church, Santa Maria della Vallicella. The composer had died several months earlier, but his minute stage directions were accurately observed. Behind the scenes was placed an orchestra comprising of a double lyre, a harpsichord, a large guitar, and two flutes, to which was added a violin for the leading parts in the ritonelles, that is, instrumental preludes and interludes. The chorus had seats assigned on the stage, but rose to sing, employing suitable movement and gesture. Time, morality, pleasure, and other solo characters bore in their hands musical instruments and seemed to play as they acted, and declaimed their parts, while the playing actually came from the concealed instruments. The world, the body, and human life illustrated the transitions of earthly affairs 
by flinging away the gorgeous decorations they had worn when they appeared on stage, and displaying their utter poverty and wretchedness in the face of death and dissolution. The representation ended with a ballet, danced sedatively and reverently to music by the chorus. Some idea of the oratorio in its infancy may be gained from this description, except that the subject had a religious bearing, it differed little from the opera. With Giacomo Carissimi, director of music at San Apollinaire, Rome, from 1628 until his death in 1674, the paths of the two diverged. He laid down lines that have been followed in the oratorios ever since. Dancing and acting were excluded by him, and the role of the narrator introduced. His broad, simple treatment of the chords enhanced the purity and beauty of everything he wrote, and in his hand, recitative gained character, grace, and musical expressiveness. Only a small portion of his epoch-making work has been preserved, and quite enough of it to make clear his title, Father of Oratorio and Cantata. His pupil, Alessandro Scalati, founder of the Neapolitan school and practically the musical director of Naples from 1694 to 1725, was an incredibly prolific composer in almost every known species of musical form. His many improvements on vocal and instrumental music operated greatly to the advantage of the oratorio, possessing feeling for orchestration to an unusual degree for his time, he grouped musical instruments of different timbres with marked boldness and skill, and was the first specially to orchestrate recitative. His genius and knowledge enabled him to restore counterpoints to its rightful place, and his oratorios showed great gain in elasticity and form. Another Alessandro, he who bore the name Stradella, and was hero of Floto's opera, of that name, had figured so freely in romance that it was not easy to separate truth from fiction in the accounts of his life. Dr. Parry says of him that he was a remarkable instinct for choral effect, even piling progress into a climax, that his solo music aims, aims at definiteness of structure, that, in 1676, he used a double orchestra his principal instruments were violins, and his oratorios were specifically significant, as he cultivated all the resources of that form of art. His most celebrated composition is an oratorio, San Giovanni Battista, and one of the airs attached to it, Pieta Signora, a beautiful, symmetrical, heart-searching melody, is sung today, although it is by no means as well known as it deserves. According to tradition, its tender, worshipful strains, sung in Church of the Holy Apostles in Rome, by the composer himself, once stayed at the hands of an assassin who jealously had prompted to slay the Apollo della Musica. So Alessandro Stradella was called, because of his great gifts as a singer and composer, and his manly beauty. A jubilant multitude surrounded him in life and loud lamentation arose 
when, at length, he fell a victim of envy and malice. Thus the graceful legend runs. Recent writers are trying to make us believe that the famous Pieta Signora was a later interpolation in San Giovanni Battista, and that it may be attributed to this or that composer a century or more after the death of Stradella in 1681. Unless absolute proof can be afforded us, let us forbear from the plucking of this gem from his crown. Composer of fifty operas and many more works, magnificent organist and harpsichordist, with the musical genius of a titanic order, intellect that was swift and surely keen, in indomitable will, a lofty philosophy and a lordly personality, George Friedrich Handel seemed defeated by outrageous fortune, wheeled about like some invincible general whose business it was to win the battle entering the field of oratorio gained a colossal victory he had for some time passed the half-century milestone in his life when he scored his greatest achievement of this line and with magic touch transformed existing materials into the art form we know today his messiah which alone would have sufficed to immortalize him was produced in one of the Herculean bursts of power within twenty-three days, when he was well advanced into his fifty-seventh year. It was first given in public in Dublin, April 13, 1742, seven months after its completion. The enthusiasm it awakened was repeated when it was performed later in London. Here, indeed, the audience became so transported at the opening of the Hallelujah Chorus, everyone present, led by the king, rose and remained standing, a custom we follow today. Herder calls the Messiah a Christian epilophy in musical sounds. It is certainly written in large, grand style of a noble epic, for it has large matters to express and its composer regarded music as a means of addressing heart and soul. The theme is treated with reverence, delicacy, and judgment, and leading tone that is of a mighty hymn and rejoicing. Following an overture that is in itself a revelation, the opening tenor recitative, Comfort ye my people, has a convincing ring that all is, and will be well mingling with infinite tenderness the succeeding aria every valley is pervaded with the freshness of the earth newly arisen amid a great glory the heart-rending desolation of sections like the contralto air he was despised only serves to accentuate the triumph of the other portions throughout there is a warmth a contrapunal splendour a breath an elasticity, a richness of orchestration, unknown to previous oratorios, unless in parts of some of the master's own work. Even in the duets and choruses, remodelled from his chamber duets, there is a jubilant character that makes them blend perfectly with the great whole. Born and educated on German soil, steeping during his wandering years in the spirit of the Italian muse, 
and finally nourished on the cathedral music of england handel became thoroughly cosmopolitan appropriating what he chose from the influences that surrounded him the english regarded him as one of their national glories called him saxon goliath the michelangelo of music and a bold briarius with a hundred hands and have carved his form in enduring marble above his tomb at westminster abbey nothing they have said can equal the tribute paid to him by the dying giant beethoven who pointed at handel's works and exclaimed there is the truth another lofty yet wholly different personality born in sixteen eighty five is found in johann sebastian bach whose passion oratorios a direct overgrowth of the passion of old furnished materials and inspiration for all time handel worked in and for the public and fought his battles in the great world bach was a lonely scholar who lived apart from the outside turmoil and unabashed in the presence of earthly monarchs reigned supreme in the tone world a typical teuton his music intensely earnest highly intellectual contain the essence of teutonism and gives full rich copious expressions to the innermost being of humanity the spirit of protestant germany is embodied in his religious tone productions which have proved to protestantism a tower of strength his service in the developing of choral alone is inestimable nothing that he has written better represents the majesty and sublimity of his style than his saint matthew passion which is surpassing utterance of human sorrow and infinite tenderness in the year seventeen ninety when joseph hayden had accepted an invitation to make a professional visit to london his young friend mozart endeavoured to dissuade him from going on account of his age but hayden persisted declaring that he was still active and strong eight years later at sixty-six years of age he wrote his celebrated oratorio the creation with all the vigour and sparkle of youth the rambles of years in the beautiful grounds of esterhazy has attuned his soul to the communion with nature and his work plainly shows his power of putting into tones the secrets of nature revealed to him blissful joyousness and childlike naivety are among its characteristic themes the style of beethoven as a composer of sacred music is reflected in his single oratorio christ on the mount of olives but like his single opera stands apart lies sufficient to prove that he was capable of accomplishing mendelssohn in his saint paul and his elijah embodied the high ideal building on its predecessors and attaining especially in the latter an eclectic spirit that manifests keen discrimination the oratorios of litz the christus saint elizabeth and some lesser work reveal high purpose and original treatment of the revelation of tones of sacred events in the oratorios of the frenchman gounod preeminently in his redemption it is interesting to find modern chorals based on those german bach and in fact as it has been aptly said a modernized treatment of bach's passion form what may be the next step in the evolution of the oratorio is difficult to estimate whether modern efforts can ever surpass 
or even equal the sublime productions in this field, or whether creative genius will be turned into wholly new channels, the future alone may determine. End of chapter 11. Certain famous oratorios. Recorded by Charlotte Duckett.